information. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the end of the week, Friday the 8th of July. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. Hong Kong has announced a significant easing of COVID rules as it suspends flight bans. The government said on Thursday that it has suspended the rule that triggers a five-day ban if either 5% or five or more people on a flight test positive on arrival, saying it caused unnecessary trouble and inconvenience to residents. Bloomberg News is reporting that China's Ministry of Finance is considering allowing local governments to sell one and a half trillion yuan, that's $220 billion, of special bonds in the second half of this year to boost the country's beleaguered economy. Bloomberg says the bond sales would be brought forward from next year's quota and it would mark the first time the issuance has been fast-tracked in this way, underscoring growing concerns in Beijing over the state of the world's second largest economy. And on the interest rate front, the Central Bank of Sri Lanka raised interest rates Thursday by 100 basis points to 15.5% as inflation was predicted to hit 60% in the coming months. The State Bank of Pakistan yesterday surprised markets by raising interest rates by 125 basis points to 15% to curb inflation of over 21%, which is the second highest in Asia. Hungary's central bank raised its one-week deposit interest rate by 200 basis points to nine and three quarters percent. That's the highest in more than a decade. And two Fed officials said Thursday that they support sharp interest rate increases in the US of 75 basis points in July and possibly September as well, even if it slows the economy. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Simon Kavanagh, partner at BDA Partners. With a view from India is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. And if you want to get in touch, I'm sure you know the ways by now. Text 6393 Email money talk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And you can tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street, stocks and Treasury yields rallied on Thursday, ahead of U.S. non-farms payrolls data later today. The S&P 500 rose for the fourth consecutive session. That's matching the 2022 record. The benchmark index jumped 1.5%, back above 3,900 at 3,903. The Dow added 347 points to end the day at 31,385. The Nasdaq surged 2.3% to 11,621. Chipmakers boosted the tech sector after South Korea's Samsung posted an 11% jump in profit and 21% surge in revenue for the second quarter on strong sales and memory chips. And that's Samsung's strongest second quarter in four years. After the closing bell, shares of Twitter fell 4% following a report from the Washington Post that said Elon Musk's deal to buy the company is in jeopardy. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index surged 1.9%. The UK's FTSE 100 rose 1.1%. Here in Hong Kong, stocks rebounded from morning losses with concerns about a fresh COVID-19 outbreak in Shanghai being offset by news that Hong Kong will suspend the flight ban mechanism. 
The Hang Seng Index rose 57 points, or a third of a percent, to 21,644. Shares of Cathay Pacific jumped over 3% following the news of the lifting of the flight ban. The tech index fell half a percent. The Shanghai Composite rose a third of a percent to 3,364. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 4% higher at $104.65 a barrel. Gold is at $1,741 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield climbed 7 basis points to 3%, but the yield curve is still inverted with the yield on the benchmark 10-year note remaining below that of the 2-year security. And in the currency markets, the euro is hovering just above a 20-year low against the dollar, $1.15. The Japanese yen is trading at 136 versus the dollar. The British pound rose after the news broke that Prime Minister Boris Johnson would step down. It's up almost 1% at $1.20 and a quarter cents and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 43 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.69 versus the dollar this morning in offshore markets. Bitcoin is up 6% at 21,600. And not surprisingly, Asia-Pacific markets in the green. Uh, the SX200 in Australia up half a percent. The K225 in Japan has risen a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea up 0.9%. And futures markets pointing to a gain of about 280 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Eight oh eight and a half. Let's welcome our guests. As always on a Friday morning, we have Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good now, morning, Peter. Now, the last few weeks we've been tracking you around Europe, and I believe you've flown back to London. I presume that's to offer your services to the UK government, where suddenly there seems to be a lot of positions available for you. Uh, I was going to tell you. Yes, it comes to a little bit of a not of a premium, and uh, right now we like a little bit something a little bit more constant and secure. I'm back in Hong Kong on the 24th of July. All right, so I will I will seek my employment there. Thank oh. you for asking. <laughs> okay, you could be Chancellor for a couple of weeks in the interim. Anyway, that would be quite a long time. <laughs> We also have with us sitting here with me in the studio in Broadcasting House for the first time on Money Talk. Simon Cavender, who's partner at BDA Partners. Morning, Simon. Morning, Peter. Very glad to join you. Thank you. Well, let's start in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, as you heard, has announced the significant easing of COVID rules as it suspends the flight ban. The government said on Thursday it suspended the rule that triggers the five-day ban if 5% or five more people on a flight test positive on arrival. They said it caused unnecessary trouble and inconvenience to residents. And the city has banned more than 100 flights this year. Andrew, do you want to um, kick off? This is being talked about um, as a new balance, uh, minimising uh, risks with more rigorous testing, but then trying to uh, relieve some of the, uh, the the restrictions. Do you see it that way? Is this a good balance? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath, actually, because punishing the airlines for things that they are not really responsible is is a little bit irrelevant. Now, the key question is, is the quarantine, okay? And that still remains at seven days, although it's going to be cut, hopefully, to five days plus, plus your own uh, restrictions. And, of course, that also remains between Hong Kong and China. And in some cases, it can be as much as one week. So, uh, yes, it is, it is okay, but uh, uh, this is not really increasing the capacity to travel freely. 
What do you think, Simon? Do you think this is going to encourage people now to, to come to Hong Kong, which is what the business community has been calling for, isn't it? No, I don't well, think, I think so. Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's nice and it's a good start and it will buy John Lee some sort of valuable initial goodwill. But in terms of reopening the economy, making it um, more accessible to businessmen to fly in and out, um, which is really what's needed, no, this isn't going to do it. Quarantine's the big issue. Um, and it's still, I mean, relaxing the flight ban will allow people with a little more certainty to book flights and they're not going to have to hold multiple bookings, which I know a number of people have had to do at sort of tying up quite a lot of money. But you're, you've still got the problem where sort of the eighth cycle of ho hotel rooms came out. Prices have gone up by some of them by sort of 50 percent. They're just not available um, and they're not sort of refundable. So um, in the most cases, I mean, you just don't have the flexibility if you want to come into Hong Kong on a business trip. Um, and for families, it's still incredibly expensive and um, just really bureaucratic and time consuming. So it's 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 a step in the right direction. And I saw Regina Ripp said that she, this is sort of the first bit and there's more relaxation to come. But really, the quarantine itself needs to be dropped. Well, it, it is a change, though, isn't it? If you remember, Carrie Lam said that she wasn't going to give in a single inch uh, to requests from business chambers and the international community to sort of relax the border policies. Is this signalling maybe a change in approach and at least there's hope that perhaps more could come? Oh, I, I think so. It is the start of the relaxation. And my, my personal expectation is that quarantine should be gone by November um, with sort of the global financial leader dialogue with the, which the monetary authority is organizing in November the big conference and then the summit afterwards that cannot go ahead with quarantine in place it, it just mm. people won't turn up for it they'll make excuses um, so it really needs to be gone by the start of November is my view and also it's the usual thing that the more the local chambers press the least the government wants to appear that it is giving in at the time that China still has uh, quite a tough policy in place. Mm -hmm. So it, it plays it plays an awkward game because uh, theoretically Hong Kong could say, okay, hell with it, we're going to open our frontiers. Well, <laughs> that's going to close the frontiers with China almost permanently, you know, assuming that it is doable. So it is, uh, you know, uh, politics is the art of the possible as opposed to the desirable. At some point, we have to assume, we hope that this quarantine ban, uh, this quarantine will be gone altogether. But Hong Kong's, a lot of damage has been done to Hong Kong in the meantime, hasn't it? To its international reputation, to its status as an aviation hub, a financial hub, a business hub. Presumably, the authorities have got to do quite a lot of work now to repair that damage and sort of remarket Hong Kong again uh, to the international community. What, what would you like to see them do? Well, I saw just a, a colorful advertisement in the Financial Times, which was very professionally done, very slickly written, of uh, marketing Hong Kong, uh, not as nothing has happened, but uh, still, uh, you know, the dynamic, exciting uh, city. And uh, I find this a little bit hard to reconcile when visitors from China, which accounted for 70% of all the tourist trade, are just not there. Mm. I think, yes, it'll take quite a lot of effort to get Hong Kong back to where it was. I mean, we're talking probably a couple of years. And the issue at the moment is everybody um, slowed down and, and closed themselves up 
during COVID when it was at its peak. The problem is everyone else has now opened up and we are being very much left behind and people are having to make investment decisions and they're looking at Hong Kong and they're having to make employment decisions. Um, and they're, Hong Kong is not doing itself any favours at all in the current sort of investment environment. So people are looking elsewhere, which is um, sort of down to Singapore and other jurisdictions. I mean, I think if China opened up, um, you'd sort of still get an influx of people into Shanghai. Um, but, I mean, Hong Kong really does need to open up or it will risk being left behind. And has permanent damage been done? Well, Peter, in, in general, financial centers don't, don't die overnight in the same way that they don't are not made overnight. That's why whenever I see discussions that all this is going to create Shanghai as not only the rival but the substitute to Hong Kong, I take that with a pinch of salt. Not that I have anything specific in inverted commas against Shanghai, but Shanghai, for example, doesn't have the infrastructure, the legal infrastructure that uh, Hong Kong has, and uh, China still has capital controls. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, Hong Kong doesn't. Uh, and uh, these are two key, incredibly key, important points that Hong Kong still has vis-à-vis -vis Shanghai. And I think the rivalry between Shanghai and Hong Kong has both, you know, played, and it's also it's a little bit artificial. You know, I don't think there is a Machiavellian cabal in China planning uh, to ruin Hong Kong and force Shanghai to grow. I mean, this, this, this is nonsense. Okay, it, it, it doesn't work like that. And I'm absolutely certain that the Chinese government doesn't think like that. Although, okay, it, 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 creates, it creates temptations. For me, the two key points in Hong Kong is complete absence of capital controls. You can bring your money and take it out completely freely. And a legal system that allows you uh, to contract on familiar territory and with a legal section that uh, is deemed to be both uh, incorruptible and, uh, and very fair. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I don't think either of those are going to change. But from, from an investment point of view, if your, if your operations and your manufacturing uh, businesses are all in China, I think you're just as easy to put all your teams um, in Shanghai and you can run everything from there locally within, within China. I think Hong Kong's position as being the gateway to China has shifted somewhat. And in future, mm -hmm. I think Hong Kong will be China's gateway to the world. And it's where the mainland companies will come and set up their first sort of beachhead before they go off and expand overseas. There was a high profile conference this week and a number of people at it, some quite high profile speakers, were suggesting that Hong Kong is on course to become just like another Chinese city. And its strength as a business hub is going to erode. Do you think that's a risk? I don't think it'll erode. I think it'll change. Um, yes, I think Hong Kong, viewing Hong Kong as a sort of an, a large Chinese city with different characteristics in terms of the currency, the rule of law, um, the capital flows, as Andrew says, um, those will remain. Um, and I think it will become more attractive for mainland companies to sort of set themselves up here with the stock market, um, obviously the number of red chip companies that are already here. That'll continue to grow. The, the capital flows between mainland and Hong Kong will continue to grow. In a way, Peter, actually, my, my concern will be if uh, the freedom of capital movement and uh, the legal system that uh, provides the backbone to the transactions okay, become irrelevant. 
You see what I mean? Yeah. Now, I cannot just see the circumstances under which you will say that uh, Hong Kong is now just like any other Chinese city. And if you say, <clears throat> I'll clear my throat, well, I don't think any other Chinese city has got an, an inverted commas. I don't want to use the word English, but a common law legal system, which is familiar, and also it has complete capital controls. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very difficult whenever you talk to people, you can actually take, I don't say a suitcase full of money, because that's a figurative speaking. You can take all the money and take it out of Hong Kong. What questions asked? And President Xi, President Xi Jinping did say when he came to Hong Kong last week that Hong Kong was going to maintain its common law system. So that's uh, quite yeah. a reassuring, isn't it, to hear that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that, that's, that's essential. I know it sounds very stupid, but even when you open a bank account, effectively you sign a contract with a bank, okay, and that contract is backed by the, by the common law. So I, in a simple thing like opening a bank deposit, people are not aware that in the background hovers a legal system that will give you a certain degree of, of assurance if something was to go wrong. Okay. Well, let's turn our attention to the markets. As you heard there at the beginning of the show, several more central banks raising interest rates by a lot more uh, than expected. Uh, Fed officials also talking about 75 basis points in July and maybe September um, as well. Did, first of all, did we learn anything new from these minutes that came out uh, from the Fed, either in terms of their resolve to fight inflation or how much they seem to be willing to tip the economy into recession, if necessary, to go and try and defeat inflation? I think, I mean, it's becoming apparent over the last few weeks that people feel that peak interest rates are going to be slightly lower um, than anticipated. But I think it was Christopher Waller that said, um, one of the Fed um, governors, that He thought 75 basis points in July, followed by another 50 basis points in September. I mean, that's a pretty dramatic sort of tightening. And Mm. will it have the required effect? I think probably, because coming off such a low base, that's a material increase in your your borrowing costs. So where they will stop it and will they be able to strike the balance is... um, is sort of somewhat anyone's guess. But I think from an investment point of view, certainly we're seeing increased caution as people look at sort of either investing into Asia, acquiring companies. It's not quite a wait and see attitude, but they're being certainly a little more conservative on their uh, valuations, just factoring in perhaps an increase in borrowing costs. I think also it is uh, it is rather sad that the Fed hasn't given us a trade-off table. In other words, for every X percent, for every X basis points increase, we expect the CPI inflation to come down by X basis points after Y time. This is essential, and it can be done, and it hasn't been done. And uh, I find this quite quite upsetting because just throwing those numbers around and at the same time not uh, taking the steps of telling you this is what this is the price you're paying and this is the the, the gain okay you're going to win. I, mm. I call it Jane Fonda economics kind of you know no pain no gain but here is your trade off. And is that because the the Fed? doesn't know it, it's lost control of, um, of inflation and, and is it damaging its credibility in the process? I have a funny feeling that it's a mixture of both because they are fighting increases in the CPI that have got absolutely nothing to do with interest rates. Mm. You know, gas prices, oil prices and food prices, okay, are completely irrelevant. The average Brazilian producer of soy doesn't care if interest rates going up in the States. Now, if the demand is there, then the prices increase. Now, further increases in prices will only work if people eat less. And that becomes 
really absurd because interest rates first and foremost affect financial assets. Hello, financial assets. And that's not the inflation the Fed is interested in. They want bread and shoes. Okay, show me how a 10% or a 10 basis points increase in Fed funds will affect the price of milk. Mm. Show it to me. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I mean, this is, this is a hypothetical challenge, okay? but, but it is a real challenge. But no, it's a very blunt instrument to, um, to, to fix a problem, and there isn't necessarily a direct correlation. And it's been a long time since the Fed has had to battle with um, sort of such aggressive growth in inflation like this. Um, so their hands are, are slightly tied. And it's having a big effect on emerging markets, isn't it? We saw some data um, yesterday which showed just how much capital is exiting e- uh, equities and bonds um, in emerging markets, $4 billion alone last month. But Peter, uh, very, very briefly, I saw an absolutely stunning chart by, by Reuters which shows what has happened at the beginning of July in terms of exchange rates versus the US dollar with just about every minor and major currency and with the exception of the... Russian ruble and the Brazilian real, every other single currency goes down negatively. Mm. One thing, it's telling you that other countries don't follow the interest rate policies of the United States. It's as simple as that. So, you know, please include me out. And countries, in fact, are willing and able, like Japan, to say, I'm not increasing interest rates just because the United States is increasing. Mm. Interest rates increases apart from my economy, and I'll stick to a weaker currency. There you go. Okay. Well, Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you in Hong Kong soon, Andrew. That's Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Simon Cavender, who's partner at BDA Partners. 5, 6, 7 a.m. Radio 3. All being well. All being well. From mental health. To physical fitness. From trendy sustainable tips. To the latest COVID news. We've got you covered. Every week we'll be joined by experts from all walks of life to talk about all things wellness. Because, well, you deserve to be well. Join me, Ben Cullen. And me, Alison Howe. Every Saturday at 3 p.m. Live on RTHK TV 31. And live on RTHK Radio 3. All All being well. Tune in to our new television channel, RTHK TV 34. Relaying CGTN Documentary. The English language service which tackles a range of serious subjects from a unique Chinese perspective. A search of your TV will take you there. Stay tuned. RTHK TV 34. CGTN Documentary. Hello, this is Uncle Ray. To fight COVID-19, we need to pay attention to our personal hygiene and follow the social distancing protocol. And of course, getting the COVID-19 vaccine is the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones. We will fight this together. Times 8.26 on the phone is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We've had quite a dramatic week again in the markets, haven't we? Lots more interest rate rises um, around the world. Three or four more yesterday in Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Hungary. The Fed talking about more interest rate rises as well. Where, do, you, do you think we've learned anything more this week from particularly the Fed about how they view this battle between fighting inflation and not tipping the economy into recession? 
No, I don't think we've I don't think we've learned anything new, uh, particularly apart from the fact that central banks have have committed to fighting inflation aggressively uh, with uh, monetary policy, which was we've discussed in previous calls as a very blunt instrument, mm. uh, which has the impact of of um, uh, really you know, hammering growth at the same time as reducing uh, inflation. So, in that sense, I don't think we've learned anything else. But I think the market is in this process of trying to adapt to what is the new normal when it comes to a neutral level of interest rate. Um, and uh, I think over the, over the course of this week, we're starting to see a shift towards the impact of this higher inflation, the impact of these higher rates on growth and potential for recession. I, I'm wondering if the markets have got it wrong, not that I claim to know any more than the markets, but nevertheless, they seem to be ratcheting down uh, the pace or the, at least the level at which interest rates are going to go uh, because the economy will go into recession. But nevertheless, inflation um, in a lot of major economies now is over 8%. It seems to me uh, the Fed hasn't got much choice, but to get to, it's got to get to 4 or 5% pretty quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I think we, we talked about it previously that, you know, in a sense, what they, they're going to do is hammer it so hard that they'll, they'll enforce a recession, but by doing that, it'll be a very short and shallow recession and, you know, growth, will, it'll be what they sort of effectively call a slow, a soft landing mm. as opposed to a hard landing. Um, now, that's hard to navigate. Um, so clearly, that's the message they're trying to send. And the market's now saying, OK, well, if the recession's coming, it's going to come quicker. And then effectively, you see that reflected through the bond markets. The bonds uh, actually rally and equity start to go, oh, actually, things aren't so bad. So um, we're in, as I said uh, at the front there, I think we're in this position uh, position now of trying to balance what is the expectation between higher inflation persisting, uh, growth being um, uh, slowed but not hitting recession. I think now we're starting to shift towards, oh, this recession could be much more uh, aggressive and quicker, hence um, growth will slow and therefore bonds will rally and We'll get the flip out pretty quick, so it's a bit it's a bit of a balancing act right now, and I think this payroll number coming up tonight in the US is going to be key. And um, where in particular um, does the RBI stand in in India? What is its bigger concern? Is it uh, inflation, or are they also worried there uh, that the economy might be tipped into recession? I think they're probably more concerned about the latter, and I think that was initially their reaction was very slow to uh, to move on rates because the, the desire to keep growth on, on, a, on a high trajectory. As you know, India is going to be growing sort of 7%, 8%. Um, and uh, so still, even with inflation, um, was looking fairly good on the trajectory. And the RBI were very keen to maintain that momentum, but then they realised qu- quickly they're behind the curve. So they moved even more aggressively than the market expected. Um, and now they're probably looking at another 60 basis points, I think, over the next quarter uh, to come in, which would be about 1.5% move. Now, that's off a much higher base rate, uh, so it's, it's not as aggressive as it is in, in, in the more developed economies. And the Reserve Bank has some capacity to throttle it with the, with the reserves that they have on the books. So as you can see what they're doing with the currency, they're just trying to, I guess, throttle this move as opposed to being too aggressive. Um, but at the same time, they're going to have to move probably again on interest rates in the next month or so. This is all having a big impact, isn't it, on emerging markets in particular. Uh, the Institute of International Finance said yesterday emerging markets have suffered their worst capital exodus in seven years in June. There was $4 billion of outflows from emerging market equities and bonds. Is that uh, also impacting India? Are you seeing a similar thing there? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of uh, outflow, but uh, as opposed to the previous uh, you know, benchmark, which would be the taper tantrum of 2013, when you saw a big move out of uh, the emerging market uh, uh, outflows of, of foreign um, 
capital, uh, this time it's a little bit uh, less impactful because of the structure of the Indian economy now and the balances that the RBI have. So what you always look for is in volatility terms is, is, is velocity. And uh, what the Reserve Bank uh, are trying to do is to, you know, to temper the move um, of depreciation of the INR, which, you know, to avoid it becoming more of a, a, a rapid exodus. And I think it's working quite well at the moment. I think the INRs at record lows at um, 79.15, I think, uh, overnight. Um, but it hasn't led to, you know, uh, a sort of panic sell, um, not, notwithstanding there's been a lot of capital outflows. Okay, Toby. Well, thanks very much for that. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Quick look at the markets in Australia. The SX200 up three quarters of a percent now. The Nikkei 225 in Japan has risen a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea also up three quarters of a percent. And futures markets pointing to a gain of 280 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Have a great weekend. Do please join me again on Monday at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Uh, coming up next, back chat after the news with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast. Hot with sunny periods, a few showers. The maximum temperature is going to be around 32 degrees. A few showers and sunny periods tomorrow and mainly fine and very hot in the following couple of days. Temperature right now, 29 degrees, 83% relative humidity. The Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is coming under pressure to resign immediately after confirming that he was stepping down as leader of the Conservative Party. Mr Johnson said he had appointed a new cabinet and would stay on as Prime Minister until his successor was chosen. But opposition party leaders and a growing number of his own MPs say that's unacceptable. The former Prime Minister John Major called for him to go now for the sake of the country. The former Deputy Prime Minister Michael Heseltine, who brought down Margaret Thatcher, said Mr Johnson must go now. On a whole raft of issues, Boris has lost the trust. When the truth is convenient, he adopts it. When it's inconvenient, he ignores it. And in order to start the process of restoring some sort of confidence in public life, it is necessary for him to go and go now. The Fire Services Department says a blaze at a residential unit at 9 Anderson Road in Shunli has been brought under control. The fire broke out just after half past 12 this morning and was upgraded to a number three alarm just before 2 a.m. It was brought under control just after 5. Police said there are no injuries and 22 people have been evacuated from the area. They said the fire was at a detached house and they advised anyone affected by the smoke or an unusual odor carried by the wind to close their doors and windows and stay calm. Health authorities say Hong Kong reported 3,028 COVID cases yesterday, of which 172 were imported. It's the first time the daily tally has passed 3,000 since April. A 79-year-old patient with the coronavirus also died. The Center for Health Protection's Dr. Tran Shuk Kwan said Hong Kong could see up to 6,000 cases a day in two weeks if infections continue to rise at the current rate. As the case number goes up, the number and proportion of hospital emissions will go up. So everyone should follow the control measures strictly and visit doctors as soon as possible when you feel unwell. Even if you test negative on a rapid test, you should visit a doctor and do another test to play safe. 
The Securities and Futures Commission says its chief executive, Ashley Alder, will step down to become chair of Britain's Financial Conduct Authority. Mr. Alder has led Hong Kong's market watchdog since 2011 and will take up his new post in January next year. The former head of Responsible Investing at HSBC, who was suspended for making light of the risks of climate change, says that he has resigned. The bank launched an internal investigation into Stuart Kirk after a speech in May in which he suggested climate warnings were exaggerated and asked whether anyone would care if Miami were underwater. New legislation that is coming into force in Japan will mean that anyone convicted of cyberbullying could be imprisoned for up to a year. Previously, the toughest penalty was 30 days of detention. The new law was introduced following the suicide of a well-known Japanese 